I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Welcome into the Saturday show, everybody. Hope you all are doing well on this Saturday morning. This is 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. My name is Jay Catch. I'm joined, as always, by Michelle Bodkin. Michelle, what is up? Oh, not much. Just enjoying some sunshine that I'm sure is probably going <laughs> to turn into a thunderstorm by the time we leave. But. Uh, well, that's our seems to be our life recently up here, <laughs> up here in, the, in the 801. There's no doubt about that. It seems like every day I look at the, I look at the forecast, I'm like, all right, high 70s, low 80s, and then... Chance for thunderstorm. Yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of these days we'll have like a full sunshine day. It'll be great. Can it get here sooner rather than later? I don't know. <laughs> We're in June now. It's It feels like it's summer outside. It's been actually a phenomenal like weather pattern essentially. It's like mm-hmm. not 100 degrees. Yeah. Still plenty warm though. It's been, it's been pretty fun on that front. But nonetheless, uh, hope you all are doing well. Uh, first things first, Michelle, how has your week been? It, it was really good. Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> so nerdy thing about me, okay. I grew up a huge monkeys fan. Really? Yes. Okay. Yes. Loved the monkeys uh-huh. as a kid. My mom raised me on it. Right. And, uh, the last remaining member of the band was actually in town. Okay. Uh, and put on a little concert at the Egyptian theater. So that's where I was Thursday night living my best 10 year old dreams. Hey. Uh, and actually, the second time I've seen this guy in concert. So, strangely enough, I, he is tied for the most like concerts that I've gone and seen of someone. Got it. Okay. With Ty Dollar Sign. <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> completely opposite. <laughs> Ty Dollar Sign. And what, what's the gentleman's name? Mickey Dolans. So Mickey Dolans. Those are your two. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's a. Uh, it's a vast. Like, I, I, they they could not be more different. Yeah, but could hey, not. There you go. So, okay. So explain this to me. I don't want to get off on too much, but too big of a tangent. But final remaining living member of the monkeys. Does he still play all their old stuff? Does he play his own stuff? What does he do? Like it, so, it's kind of he uh, he plays all of their old stuff. Okay. Um, I don't think any of them really exactly went on and had solo careers. That's what I was saying. I, um, I don't recall a single one of them being like this breakout solo sensation yeah yeah uh par- partially because 
to some degree they weren't actually musicians. <laughs> they were they were yeah. manufactured to put on a TV show, um, with the exception of Michael Nesmith and Peter Tork a little bit. Sure. Um, the the other two kind of had to learn as they go was my understanding. Okay. But uh, no, he played like all their old stuff and uh, just had some nice things to say about his fellow band member, TV cast members. Okay. Um, you know, just gave little anecdotes about how, how we met him, when they, when he met him, uh, their friendship through the years, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So it was really nice. He's old, though. He is, like, he's <laughs> well, very old. The monkey's been around for <clears throat> for a minute, let's just put it that way. Yeah, yeah. So that's fun, though. That's awesome. Like, that's, that's the fun part about like, groups that you've grown up being a fan of, actually seeing them in concert kind of, it, it changes the dynamic. Because mm-hmm. you can listen to every one of their songs that they've done and whatnot but when you actually see them like okay it's a little different sound to it and everything it's kind of fun that way though yeah totally all right um okay is that, is that the highlight of your week yeah that's the uh, highlight okay. of my week cool the highlight of my week is actually last night uh took my wife and kids we went out to the bees game uh it's actually angels night funny enough and my wife grew up an angels fan so okay uh my kids have all their angels gear and my wife's like why are you not wearing an angels gear i'm like i'm not an angels fan so i'm not doing it <laughs> you can't make me uh but i wore my bees gear but um i w- actually and this is really funny uh, I went to go get food, uh, as most dads do at ball games. And at, when I got back to our seats, my wife says, "Hey, your daughter's been picked to uh, be part of the in-game promotions." I'm like, "What do you mean?" Like, <laughs> she's like, "Well, this lady came by, saw your daughter, and said, hey, would you like to be our?' She was going to judge the cheering sections, essentially." Aww. So uh, Tony Parks, old compatriot of ours here on the Zone, yep. he is the in-game MC. Does all of the fan experience stuff over there at Smith Ballpark. By the way, does an incredible job with it. It runs like a well-oiled machine. They they've got it down to a science. Well, uh, so when they came and got her, this is in the fifth inning. I walk up there and he looks at me. He's like, "You got to be kidding me!" <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "I swear, I had nothing to do with this. I was getting food." He's like, "All right, well, we caught up for a minute. It was fun. She had a great time. Got introduced to the crowd and was having a good old time. So she got to pick the winning section, and uh, you could tell she was having the time of her life." I saw the picture that you posted this mm-hmm. morning. Her dress is so cute with the baseballs. Yep, yeah, that's one of her favorite dresses. When we go to the baseball games, that's what she wears. Aw, so, love it. Yeah, so fun times. Uh, good times. Uh, daughter loved it. Uh, my wife thought it was absolutely hilarious that <laughs> I was, like, of all people in that entire ballpark. Right. But fun all the same. She had a great time with it. Uh, I, I wondered how she was going to respond because she does cheer and everything, so she's not she's not averse to doing performances in front of people, but I just wondered, like, this is a different dynamic. Yeah. On top of the of the bullpen, uh, the bullpen, the dugout, and well, she doesn't have other teammates yeah, to kind exactly. of distract from her. Sure. Yeah, all yeah. eyes are on her. Yep. Sounds like she did well, though. Yeah, no, she did a great time. And uh, the funny thing about it is, so the section that my family was sitting, they had so section eight, nine, and ten. I think are the, two, the three sections they had her judge. Well, she <laughs> chuckle. She she's like, all right, which one wins? And she's like, ten. My wife's like. You couldn't pick our section that we were sitting in? <laughs> no so, nepotism. So, no, no, yeah, no favoritism was shown at all, but nonetheless, it was a really fun time. So we had a good time at the ballpark. If you have not been out to, uh, to Smith's Ballpark to watch a game, I'd encourage you to do so. It's a ton of fun out there. We have a great time, um, and it's, it, it's, it's, just, it's just a fun time to be out at the ballpark. That's one of my favorite things about Smith's Ballpark is it's really easy to just sit back mm-hmm. and enjoy.
So I, I probably should make a trip because uh, once they, once they move, <laughs> the chances of may, me ever going again are very very slim. It may it may not happen again. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. All right, so uh, fun times all the same. But thanks again to all of you for tuning in here on the Saturday show. Uh, I am just going to acknowledge right now I am producing and hosting today. Hopefully. He's- He's um, earning his paycheck. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Sarah woke up feeling ill. I uh, gave me a call and I said, "Hey, hey, don't worry about it. We got it. I, I have done this before. I will probably do it again at some point in my career. <laughs> I spend the rest of my time here producing at this board, so I'm not um, averse to doing this. It's actually kind of like routine in a way for me because just pushing buttons and all this stuff, and I get to have control of the show today." In more ways than one. Right, yes. Yes. All right, so uh, we're going to talk a lot about the NBA Finals. Uh, We did learn yesterday, Sports Illustrated put out a report, Michelle and I are going to talk about this because it could affect both Utah and BYU, and I even think Utah State might have set this up as well. Their official collectives are all set up as 501c3 organizations, which are nonprofit charities, which the donations of which are supposed to be uh, they're <clears throat> non-taxable. Mm-hmm. Well, the IRS put that on notice yesterday and may change the whole dynamic of NIL and all that stuff. We'll talk about that. Get to technical fouls, five minutes of, and just have a lot of fun along the way. Also, RSL getting a huge signing. The guy that uh, many people have hoped the RSL could get, an out-and-out striker, was signed this morning. Officially got the word on that. So we got plenty to cover on that front. But without further ado, let's get to what's the big deal. Do you know who I am? No, I, I can't say that I do. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Really? People know me. I'm very happy for you. I'm very important. Uh, I have many leather-bound books, and my apartment smells of rich mahogany. All right, starting off here, and what's the big deal today? The NBA Finals look like they may be over pretty quick here, Michelle. Last night, Denver was in Miami, obviously, for Game 4 of the NBA Finals. And uh, I thought after Game 2, when Miami beat Denver in Denver, I was like, okay, there's a chance this may be a series that pushes a little bit further. But uh, apparently, Denver said, yeah, that's that's cute you guys think that, because we're, we're just ending this. <laughs> they, they went up 3-1, and now they're a game away from winning it, and they can do that Monday night at home. Yeah, uh, things are not sounding good, looking good for for Miami. I kind of found myself thinking the same thing when I noticed that uh, Miami got one in on Denver. It's like, oh, you know, like may, maybe we were just all a little too quick to judge. Sure. Uh, and then, yeah, seeing Denver kind of re- recalibrate, <laughs> regain control of the situation and obviously sitting one game away. Uh, I there is a part of me. I feel like these things are scripted a little bit. To scripted, add, yes, to add drama. Okay. Um, so it wouldn't shock me if Miami magically <laughs> wins game five. Wins game five in order to stretch this and add some drama. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I mean the the whole point is to make some money too. But I, you know, on the other hand. I would hope that if it really is a case of Denver's just a better team, let's just accept that and move it along. Sure. Yeah, that that's the thing is the way this is playing out right now is I'm with you. The NBA would love nothing more than for this series to stretch out to six or seven games because you're right. Advertising dollars come in. You keep yourselves in the headlines just a little bit longer on into the summer. It, it carries you right in essentially to uh, – 
to NBA draft season. And that's the thing about this. But the way that Denver is playing right now, I just... <sighs> I feel like we're watching really an eight seed versus a one seed. Miami had a phenomenal run. And I was on with Ben Anderson yesterday. You obviously mm-hmm. joined us on Jake and Ben. I was filling in for Jake Scott. And we talked about this, and Ben made a very good point. He said that at some point during that Milwaukee series in particular for Miami, they completely changed how they had played essentially the rest of the season, meaning their whole style of play, really started jacking up a lot of threes and said, you know what, the only way we're going to beat Milwaukee is not to play them at their own game because they're two very similarly constructed teams where they expect to dominate you inside and really bruise and batter you. Well, they realize, you know what, Milwaukee's better at this than we are. So we're going to go out and we're going to kind of do the opposite. We're going to start hoisting up threes in large numbers. And to their credit, they kept that style going and it carried them through the entirety of the Eastern Conference. Now they're in the NBA Finals and they're going against the Denver team. And I think I mentioned this last week on this very show that the way that Denver operates is such a well-oiled machine and it's so mm-hmm. smooth that you have a hard time doing anything that they're not essentially able to counter. And I feel like right now what we're watching is – to use the boxing analogy I used yesterday with Ben, is there Miami's throwing these combination punches, and then Denver's kind of like Muhammad Ali over there just ducking out of the way and just kind of looking at you, shimmying and being like, what else you got? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to just sit here and watch you wear yourself out, yeah. and then I'll go in for the knockout blow. Yeah, it, I, I that's a good analogy. Way, way to go, Jake. Well, thank you. I, <laughs> I, I came up with it on the spot yesterday, and I'm just <laughs> repurposing and repackaging it on today's show. But that's the thing about this. This Miami team is not a bad team. Uh, let me be very clear about this. They're only the second team in NBA history as an eight seed to make the finals. They followed the Knicks in 99, as most people will recall, and making a similar run through the Eastern Conference. But this Denver team, stunningly enough, first time in the finals and on the doorstep now of winning a title. And that, that's that got to be very exciting if you're a Nuggets fan because the nice part is this Nuggets team is set up to make a run here, it looks like, for at least three or four more years beyond this if they, if they ultimately do clinch it, whether it's Monday night or later next week. Yeah, I, I mean, it's always, I think, fun to see new blood, which is kind yeah. of what we got this go around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, Miami's been there a few times before. Uh, but this is just a very different Miami team than I think Correct. most of us remember and recall. Uh, so it it has been fun, and it's been fun seeing, you know, maybe a little bit more of a scrappy team in Miami that sure. may maybe, like, they're a good team, but do they really, really, really belong there? I don't know, but... They earned their way there, mm-hmm. uh, if if that makes any kind of sense. And then, of course, it sounds like Denver has just progressively figured themselves out throughout the season, and and they're just playing at a really, really high level. Uh, and it shows. It shows yeah. that you know they're they they are on that championship level. Uh, so I think that's just kind of fun. It's it, Again, it's nice to have a little bit of a different storyline. It feels like the last little bit we've had kind of the same teams roll through. Um, and to a large degree, you're right. Yeah. Uh, so so I, I'm kind of digging the new blood here. And, you know, if it's Denver that, mm-hmm. that gets it done and it's looking like that's probably going to be the case, uh, you know, big kudos to them. And it'll be interesting, like you said, to see uh, if they can keep that pace up and maybe win a couple more uh, sure, yeah. as they go along. 
Well, and that's the thing about this is the the big difference in this series to me, in a way, is the fact that Denver has always had a third guy step up, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. They had Christian Brown, obviously the former Kansas star, who won the uh, the NCAA cha- men's basketball championship a year ago and is on the cusp of winning uh, NBA title. Uh, I think there are five other players in NBA history who have done that, Michelle, from one season winning the, the college basketball title to winning the NBA title. One of them is the great Arnie Farron, I found out. Oh, really? Yeah. So his senior year at Utah, they won the NCAA men's basketball title in the late 40s. Mm-hmm. The very next year, he goes to the Minneapolis Lakers, and they win the title. I think it was the George Mikan era, if you, mm. if you know that name. But yeah, he's one of like five or six guys. And Christian Brown could join that illustrious list coming up huh. as soon as Monday night. So kind of an interesting tidbit that brings it a little closer to home on yeah. that side of things. Uh, but... Uh, when it comes to Denver, as I mentioned, they've always had a third guy step up. It was Christian Brown in Game 4. Last night, it's Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon goes off, finishes with 27 points, 7 rebounds, 6 assists. Guess what? Nobody on Miami can match that. They did have Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo go off for what they, they expect them to do. Those are their two guys. They're the complement to what Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic are. Now... Do I think that Nikola Jokic is far and away the better player than Bam Adebayo? Absolutely. But you always need a quote-unquote third player to arrive, and Miami was hoping. Tyler Hero's kind of been that third guy for them. Mm-hmm. He's been out with that broken hand. He broke it in the first round of the playoffs. The hope was that for Game 3, he'd be back. He's still even swelling in that hand. It's just not re- it's not recovered to the level they feel like they're capable of putting him out there, so he hasn't been able to play. So they haven't had that third piece for Miami. So they've had to rely on Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. But when you have a guy show up in the case of an Eric Gordon who goes for 27 points and he counters anything else that the Miami Heat role players had. Kevin Love had 12. Uh, Duncan Robinson, 12. Uh, let's see, Caleb Martin, 11. And Kyle Lowry, 13. None of them stepped to the level that... Uh, that we saw for on the, on the Miami side of things that we saw from Denver, and I think that's a big reason why we're currently sitting there looking. Okay, Monday night be, might be a coronation for the Denver Nuggets, and I think that's a good point because when we were talking about Miami, like uh, overall, kind of yeah. again, just a, a scrappy, maybe a little bit band of misfit toys sure, in yeah. a way. Um, whereas it just feels like Denver has depth and, mm-hmm. and like meaningful depth. Depth, pur- yeah. purposeful depth, um, not not like oh hey, like you kind you kind of snuck up and surprised me. I, I wasn't expecting this out of you. Like there, I think there's some expectations with the group of guys that Denver has versus Miami, mm-hmm. maybe not quite as much. Uh, and I think that's a big difference maker uh, when you have people in place that you think, uh, you know. Can can kind of step up from game to game, yeah. Uh, and sometimes it's all at once. Sometimes you know it's a single guy. It just kind of depends on how the game goes. Uh, whereas it's maybe just a little more random <laughs> with Miami. It's it's not necessarily a night night to night situation where you're like, oh well. If so and so isn't doing so well, I think this guy will you know pick up the pace or, or be a problem for whoever. Um, so I don't know. <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to watch. Like I said, I am always a little bit skeptical with these seven, seven game. I, I just think there's money to be made and, <laughs> and it seems like, oh, yeah. shocking. The, hey. the, the, the team that we thought was not going to manages to get one in and spread this out. Is mm-hmm. it really because 
they earned it, or is it because that's what the NBA kind of wanted? Well, and that's the thing. Uh, the NBA has created itself and become an entity that is a year-round league. We've, we all know the NFL they dominate headlines year round, even though their season really runs from September to February. But it, short. they go; it goes for twelve months of the year. Just free agency, off season workouts. It's just they keep themselves in the headlines. And the NBA has really done a good job at creating that themselves. Obviously, we're gonna go from the NBA Finals right into NBA draft season. After that, it's the NBA Summer League, which it's a glorified exhibition series, but we make it out to be a bigger thing than it is because it's our first look at rookies who have yeah. just been drafted. Well, and everybody loves the shiny new toy. And, be, like, and being able to go to Vegas doesn't hurt, you know. No, that that doesn't <laughs> suck either. Um, at least for a weekend. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but 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 so and then and then after that, they do take a the month of August can be a little bit slow for the NBA. That's really the one month that seems to be just a little bit slower. But anymore, sometimes. <clears throat> Free agents will actually hold off on signing stuff. NBA free agency also happens right during the time that the NBA is going to summer league. They have the big signings and everything. The month of August might be a down month, but once you hit the month of September, guess what? Training camps are underway. Stars are getting traded. We saw Donovan Mitchell get traded last year in the month of September. So it just there's so much that happens. And the nice part is the NBA season is already long enough that it keeps itself going year round. And that's to your point. If you can drag this out and push it into the middle of next week, potentially, mm-hmm. what well, I think game six would be Thursday night, if I'm not mistaken. Well, guess what? That keeps you in the headlines just that much longer and keeps that timeline, quote unquote, on track. For sure. For sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> call call me a conspiracy theorist. But... Michelle, a conspiracy, the NBA conspiracy <laughs> theorist over here. No, you're... But, you, you, you make a you make a good point because that's the thing about this is it, it's a huge huge deal. Now, uh, real quick, uh, also on that side of things is we are under two weeks to the NBA draft, uh, so stay tuned for all that. Ben Anderson's doing a great job with mm-hmm. his draft coverage. I do want to before we take a break here, we're going to talk about this a little bit more as today's show progresses. But another local uh, angle in terms of the sports market here, some big news for Real Salt Lake, and I feel like this is big enough. We're going to bring it into the A block as we call it here on today's show. Uh, Real Salt Lake has acquired twenty eight year old forward uh, Christian Chicho Arango on a per- permanent transfer from Mexican side CF Pachuca, which is in Liga MX, on a three-year deal. Now, if that name sounds familiar to any of you who are soccer fans, he played for LAFC last year. Okay. LAFC was far and away the best team in the league. He uh, actually was an MLS MVP finalist mm. with that team. They won the title. They won the Champions League. And he was a central part of what LAFC did last year. Now, he went into the offseason hoping to get a long-term deal, stick with LAFC. They felt like they uh, didn't necessarily have the funds, I guess, the way I read it, to keep him there. Uh, so then they ended up selling him to Pachuca down there in Liga MX, where he's been playing for the last six-ish months. And now Real Salt Lake brings in a star striker. This is a guy, and I've done enough RSL pre-half and post-game shows with Spencer Warren and Lauren Beck and Tom Hackett, and we'll do another one tonight out there. And uh, the way I understand it is you could see uh, Chicho Arango uh, introduced to the fans tonight at that game for Real Salt Lake. But we've talked about the fact that RSL has needed just an out-and-out striker. They need a guy who can just go bag goals at a prodigious rate. This is a guy who averaged 35 goals, so almost wow. almost half a goal every time he stepped on the field. And that's I know that sounds like we should be – that's actually a really good rate. Yeah. 35 goals, 58 appearances across two years for LAFC. This dude can bag goals, and RSL has not had a guy who can tally that many goals in a two-season period since – Alvaro Sabarillo and when did Sabo hang it up? Twenty 
2013, 2014, somewhere in that oh, range. Was it really that it's long? It's been a minute. Yeah. Wow. Oh, man. I thought we were still talking about him. <laughs> well, we, no, we, we are still talking about him, Michelle, because... Yeah, because of the comparison. Yeah. But I like I thought he was still playing up he, until a little more recently well, he, than no, that. He, he was. He, okay. He's been playing down in Costa Rica. Okay. Sabo's been still been playing. He just... His time with Real Salt Lake drew to a close, oh, okay. kind of mid. Uh, maybe, maybe he's stretched into 2015. If Trey Fitzgerald is, is listening this morning, I'm sure I'll, I'll, get, a, I'll get a text very quickly <laughs> to, to fill me in on that. But that's the thing about this: when you're still talking about Asabo being the last star striker for Real Salt Lake, yeah, it kind of means it's been a minute. Yeah, well, I, I mean, you guys have talked a lot about, you know. Real Salt Lake's had some issues scoring. Uh, they'll get really hot for a second, and then it just dries up. So it sounds like uh, maybe they're getting the shot in the arm that they need in order to be a little more consistent getting goals and scoring and, and keeping themselves in the mix of things rather than kind of just dropping off. Okay, so I looked it up. 2015 is when he left Real Salt Lake. He went to D.C. United from there, spent through 2016 with D.C. United. Uh, since then, he's been playing for Saprissa, San Carlos, and a couple other uh, teams down there in Costa Rica. Now, Michelle, he made 100 appearances for, excuse me, 127 appearances for Real Salt Lake during his time with the Claret and Cobalt. During that time, do you know how many goals he scored in the 127 appearances? Okay, so if we're saying 35 goals for Chicho Orango, yes, in two years, mm-hmm. and we're saying this that is this is a comparison, six, this is sixish year. So this is about he came to Rouse Lake on loan in 2010, signed a permanent transfer, and spent from 2011 to 2015 with Rouse Salt Lake. 127 appearances means 127 matches he played for Rouse Salt Lake. Any idea on how many goals he scored? It's north of 50, I'll give you that. I'll yeah, that I was going to say like 98. Uh, would be a grand total of 63. Okay. Across 127 matches. So if you do the math, that's about that's about the the rate that Chicho Arango has been scoring goals. Chicho's been scoring at a higher rate during mm-hmm. his time with LAFC, and ultimately it's going to take until he takes the fills for Real Salt. Like he actually can't uh, officially – complete the transfer <clears throat> until the transfer window opens on July 5th. So we are still a little bit away from him ultimately playing playing for Real Salt Lake. But the hope is that he can get into the side for Real Salt Lake, bolster them in the back half of the season, and if he can score goals like he did at the rate he did previously, be a pretty good spot. Uh, it would actually give RSL more of an offensive punch, because as you mentioned, there have been times they've been very, very good offensively, but they also had, they had a... 300-plus-minute scoreless streak at one point in the season already? Yeah. yeah. Uh, trust me, I've seen the angry tweets <laughs> on my Twitter line, despite sure. not really covering, watching, or following RSL. Yeah. So uh, I'm very well aware that people have not been happy uh, with the product at times, and understandably so. Uh, I mean, scoring at this level is hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't happen a lot, a lot. Yeah. I, I mean, when you talk about someone scoring like three goals and saying that that's like that's a high scoring game is kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but problematic when you're not even you know, you're not getting any, yeah, <laughs> like no. not even one. Well, so, so I just did the math on it. So uh, Sabo for his entire time at RSL, 
0.49 goals uh, essentially that was about half a goal every time it was it was he'd get one every two games essentially if he if he, I know that doesn't make sense but that's kind of the rate that he was scoring at Chicho Arango during his 58 appearances with LAFC is 0. .60 so he's just north of a half a goal every time he steps so this is this is a big opportunity for Real Salt Lake. So we'll continue to break this down. I'm sure, of course, we'll probably have a big topic of tonight's pregame show, pre-match show, on right here on the Zone as we get you ready for Real Salt Lake taking on NYCFC. Uh, should be fun to uh, hear a little bit. I'm actually excited to hear Spenno's um, thoughts on this because he's been just begging, begging to have RSL go out and get a forward of this caliber. And, We'll see what nah, he has to now say. they got it. Yeah. Should be happy. Yeah, should be fun. All right. Uh, we will take a time out here. We'll come back on the other side. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the IRS has put collectives on notice uh, per Ross Dellinger and Sports Illustrated. I read this last night uh, doing some show prep. Very interesting comments, albeit not necessarily unexpected, if that makes sense. We'll get to more of that next. This is the Saturday show right here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. Three, two, it's the ninth annual Top 60 and 60. Get your college football fix every day at 1.30 as the zone counts you down to the start of the 2023 season. By listing off the top 60 players in the state of Utah as voted on by the local media and you, the fans. You'll also hear from the coaches as they talk about the players that will impact their season the most. It's the Top 60 and 60, weekdays at 1.30, presented by Five Star Painting. On your home of the best college football coverage in Utah, 97.5 The KSL Sports Zone. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. Michelle Bodkin, Jay Catch, breaking things down here on a Saturday we typically do. Hope you all are doing well out there wherever you're tuning in from. No guys like Clint Pete, Ryan Hancock, a number of you out there are regulars. I've seen a bunch of you already weighing in. Uh, Clint has some good good ones he already sent in uh, <laughs> regarding your monkey, uh, your, you being a fan of the monkeys. Yep. So. Kind of fun that way, but a uh, big thank you to all of you for tuning in. He also did say, I think uh, Tony should have picked Jacob C. Hatch to be in the fruit race. No, I wouldn't even made it around, you know, like left field. <laughs> oh, come on, Jake. Uh, it's, that, that's a long run. Have you, have you, you've been out to the Smith's Ball, right? Mm-hmm. You've seen that fruit race. Mm-hmm. They went a long way. I'm actually, I was kind of disappointed last night because a lot of times, because the, the opposing bullpen is on that, the home stretch. Uh-huh. And usually the opposing bullpen players will literally get off their like chairs and everything and will actually go on the opposite side of where the mound is and force the fruit people to go up and over that mound, which inevitably it feels like at least one person. Yeah, someone trips and misjudge eats it. it. <laughs> they didn't do it last night. The Round Rock guys just kind of sat there and watched them like, and to, to the fruit racers i guess we call them i don't know what we necessarily call them the the participants i should say uh to their credit uh they all did go up up and over the mound but they easily could have avoided that because they just they didn't they didn't ring them in so kind of fun but nonetheless uh the carrot actually came on strong last night and won so well carrots are great for your eyes (laughs) yeah i guess yeah no it's just kind of funny because the there's a guy who the grape is the one who got out to like a really big leap and this carrot guy was just just close super super strong so. Okay, wow. It's always kind of a fun thing. I enjoy watching those things go down. 
All right, uh, Michelle. So uh, you and I, obviously, we cover a lot of college sports in the state. Of course, you being the Utah Insider for KSLSports.com. I've got my own podcast covering all things BYU, Locked on Cougars. Uh, read this last night, but Ross Dellinger put this out for Sports Illustrated. does a really good job covering all things college uh, football and college sports at a national level. And the headline says this. The IRS, the Internal Revenue Service, who is essentially never going to not let you pay the money they think they, they owe you, oh, yeah. uh, says donations made to nonprofit NIL collectives are not tax exempt. Your reaction, go. I mean, I'm not surprised. Oh, the, the IRS isn't going to just let that go. You mean we're going to let high-powered people who have millions of dollars of, of money just put this into a charitable cause, quote-unquote, and let it be tax-exempt? Yeah, no. Not, not without looking into it closely. Yeah. Sure. So, I mean, I'm not shocked. And I think the, the honest ones mm-hmm. that set some of these up, I think they're very well aware sure. that, that that was going to come down the pipeline. and. You know, I it's going to be interesting to see what happens, how this ha- is handled, what ultimately, you know, comes down with this. But I think the ones, you know, that had good intentions with it when, when they designed the concept are probably fine and prepared for sure. it. Yeah, they're going to have to pivot a little bit probably. Um, but some of the other ones that thought that they were like literally going to get away with murdering someone, uh, they might be in for a world of hurt. Yeah, so according to a memo that was released yesterday from the office of the IRS chief counsel, uh, donations made to nonprofit NIL collectives, quote, are not are, are not tax-exempt, unquote, because the benefits they provide college athletes are, quote, not incidental both qualitatively and quantitatively to any exempt purpose, unquote. This is, I, and here's the thing. You said we should be surprised at this. No, we shouldn't be because in this article by Ross Dellinger in particular, let's see, let me find this right here. Jason Belzer, who uh, he's a, been a big advocate out there with regards to, uh, it's called Student Athlete. He's the co-founder of Student Athlete NIL who manages several for-profit collectives has been one of the loudest critics of nonprofit collectives saying this, quote, I think it's a bad business model. I've been long on the record to say the majority of collectives are doing it as a way that is disingenuous. They're using it as a way to get a tax write-off to pay student-athletes. The IRS may grant to then come back a year later and say, what the bleep is going on? <laughs> the kid promoting this charity is driving around the Mercedes and tweeting about how great this charity is, question mark? He's not wrong. He's not wrong. He's not, and that that is 1,000%... I think the way a lot a lot of the ones that were designed in this way sure. probably exactly envisioned how this was going to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like but I I do think I do think there are some that the the intent and I I kind of think the ones that are based here in our state just because again I've talked a lot about there's just expectations here mm-hmm. uh with our our student athletes, our pro athletes um, you're a part of the community. You're a part of the community, and, and so I I think <laughs> the ones in Utah were probably really genuinely built around. We have these expectations, and, sure. and we plan on following through with that. I, but not everybody went into into that plan mm-hmm. with that mindset. Um, it I it. Probably a lot of them could be classified as like money laundering, funneling, um, some kind of shady a stuff. Front, a front, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's just very 
very interesting. And it's going to be interesting to see how the Royal Blue Collective and the Crimson Collective and and possibly I'm not as familiar with Utah State still. The Big Blue um, Collective is what they call it. The Blue A Collective. I have to look at that. But, uh, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see how they may have to pivot, you know, what they what they decided was the game plan. Uh, I don't think it's ultimately going to change like the expectations for them as far as mm-hmm. how you go about getting this money, but as far as the actual business setup, I, I'm not entirely sure what they're going to do. I would imagine, at least on the Crimson Collective side, um, that they probably saw this coming down the pipeline. They're very smart, savvy business people. Yeah. Um, I I don't know as much, again, about BYU's, but I would have to imagine they probably saw this coming down the pipeline, too, uh, and possibly have a backup plan in place. Well, let, let me insert this. I do think, yeah, as you mentioned, the Clemson and the Royal Blue Collectives, which are the officially endorsed collectives of the University of Utah as well as Brigham Young University, respectively. You're right. Both of them, they took their time building these collectives, by the mm-hmm. way, as well. So I'm with you. I, I think that they have both, to their credit, been smart about looking at that, saying, okay, we're going to set it up as a 501c3, but if we need to pivot, I'm sure they've got a plan to pivot out of it. Now, I will also acknowledge this. What the Crimson Collective and the Royal Blue Collective in particular, because I've I've talked to people who are associated with both, is they both have very much integrated charitable causes into what they're doing with it. Mm -hmm. For example... The Royal Blue Collective, not that long ago, I would say not even more than a, two weeks ago, had a large number of BYU student-athletes. Men's basketball, I saw women's basketball, I think it's track, BYU football. Players were at Tabitha's Way in American Fork. Yeah. Uh, putting together uh, all kinds of stuff. They put together meal kits, uh, all kinds of different things. That's the type of stuff that IRS comes and looks at it and says, okay, you claim you're a charity – What's yeah, going well, on well, what charitable things are you doing? And if that if that's stuff you can quant like the quantitative and the qualitative, like you, that's the type of stuff you're going to point to with that. Does that ultimately mean that the IRS is not going to say this is? Yeah, we're still not doing this. <laughs> this ain't it. And, I'm sure they will pivot. Yeah, but I think that both, and I, I'm just saying that that's that's just the, the royal blue collective because I I've got intimate knowledge of what they were doing that day with that. I know the Crimson Collective has set up a similar circumstance because mm-hmm. you're right. You have a very good point that in our community here we expect our student athletes to adhere to a little bit higher of a stand a standard. community standard. Yeah. You're, we expect you to be a good citizen. Yeah. In and, this community. And we expect you to do things. Like, yeah. So that's the thing. I think that both of these collectives, I'm speaking of BYU and Utah's, I think that they, they're, yeah, they're not a money laundering I, front. I, I think the intentions <laughs> are good with those two collectives. Yeah. Can I speak to every other collective set up that way in the country? No. Uh, yeah. uh. Well, and that's the thing about this. So uh, Matt Brown, obviously, uh, a guy that I think is, is really, really smart about how he goes about things, that writes his newsletter, um, Extra Points. Uh, he has but uh, this little string on Twitter. There was one part that I really thought was interesting. He said, I think collectives, and you can go read this, Matt Brown EP on Twitter if you're on that social media platform. He says, I think uh, many collectives can transition to an LLC not-for-profit model without too much of an issue, so long as they're prepared to actually fundraise like a real organization. Most small donors are taking the standard deduction anyway, so they wouldn't need the tax write-off. He's he, Essentially, he's saying that the... Joe Blow fan who's been 
putting money into these collectives, they're already in your taxes when you meet with your CPA, if you do it yourself via the internet, you have a standard write-off the IRS already gives you. Mm-hmm. Most people, yours truly included, I don't think you're the, you think you're in a similar boat, Michelle, we're not going to be going beyond that standard write-off for charitable donations. Yeah. They're looking at this from the IRS perspective at some of these people who are multi-multi-millionaires who are essentially saying, you mean I can write off millions of dollars on those taxes that Uncle Sam won't be able to touch by doing this? Yeah, go Let's ahead. Take my money. <laughs> like So <laughs> I think the IRS is looking at this and they're, they're going after a smaller pool, if that makes sense, of people mm. out there. But it's a pool of people that have got a gigantic ocean of wealth, to use that analogy. And that... that this will be interesting to see how this all shakes out, but I've got some thought that, yes, the IRS is going to look at every one of these collectives that were set up as a 501c3. Oh, and, 1,000%. And, and Matt did mention this in his string. He does say this. Um, the uh, the idea the IRS would eventually rule that NIL collectives couldn't actually be 501c3 nonprofits isn't new or radical. It just uh, wasn't uh, this Jacob, uh, Jason Belzer screaming about this. Lots of lawyers and CPAs talked about it. ADs talked about it. He said even I talked about it. The risk was well known. But he says this, if so many experts knew the IRS's regulatory change was a possibility, why did so many collectives try to establish themselves as a 501c3? Well, it's a way to write off lots of money if, you, if you're fabulously wealthy mm-hmm. i get why they did this yeah it, it was an effort to get people on board because there have been at least in utah mm-hmm. uh there's been a lot of people grumbling about well i pay for tickets and <laughs> i have to pay my crimson club or royal blue membership and blah 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 and this and that and now you want me <laughs> Yeah. To do this too, well, if you get a tax write off for it, all of a sudden paying that money is not such a big deal to it these looks people. So, like, and that's the thing <laughs> I can understand completely. Like, anybody who's like, hold on, and, like, trust me, if I was a person who was blessed with that much wealth, and I was looking, okay. Either I can be taxed on this money or I can benefit a university that in many ways probably set me up to do what I do that helped me grow this wealth, whatever it might have been. And you're like, Hold on. I can benefit this organization, this athletic program, this athletic department, and at the same time avoid a heftier tax bill from Uncle Sam? Yeah, help myself as well. Why not? Where's the downside to that? I, I mean, when when the IRS decides, nah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the, therein lies the problem. Um, I did look this up. The Blue Way Collective up at Utah State, mm-hmm. which they announced recently, uh, it does say in their thing, the collective has filed an application with the Internal Revenue Service to operate as a 501c3 as well. So the Blue A Collective will also be under the microscope on this side of things. But as, uh, as Matt mentions, and I'm going to make a phone call here in the break and see if we might be able to get him on to talk about this, I, I think that... He's right about them being able to pivot to a nonprofit that you have to fundraise, essentially, Mm -hmm. where, in essence, you'd be operating like a lot of athletic departments fundraising arms already are. It just it changes the dynamic a little bit because, yes, some of these big name donors who are so happy to be like, "Okay, how much do you need? Yeah. Like because for them, it's there's little to no downside under the way that things were looking. Now, could the IRS pivot back and say, you know what? You know, they might. I I don't know. I haven't looked into this too, too much just yet. But I mean, they could go case by case. Mm -hmm. Um, If if you really do have it set up legitimately, if you really can point to you're doing these charitable things, uh, you know, they might 
be cool with it. Yes. Uh, but if you can prove it, yes. If, it, if you can get the IRS to sign off that you are truthfully in a charitable organization and you can keep that 501c3 status, if they, if they put the rubber stamp on it, keep doing what you're doing. But again, those of you that thought, uh, you know, I'm just going to set up this money funneling, laundering <laughs> sure. front. I'm going to make it look like, but in reality, like we don't do anything charitable. It's just a way to get our student athletes money and also benefit our donors that are donating this money, uh, you know, without putting in the work that you say you're putting in, um, that that's just a completely different story. Well, and that's the thing about it is it, 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 there are going to be certain ones of these that were the early adopters, if that makes sense. They, mm-hmm. they jumped in, essentially set it up, and were like, yeah, this, the, the IRS is going to kind of okay, this is a front. Yeah, you guys come are, on. You're, come on, you're, guys. you're laundering money. You're getting away with it. This one, either you're going to pay up or you're going to have to change your model. I am curious because we already talked about this. The Crimson, I know of that. You're, you've been talking about that. I, the Royal Blue Collective for BYU, where they're already requiring their athletes who are part of this to go out and do some of these charitable causes. It may past the sniff test who knows yeah or you know i mean the irs could also just be like look we don't want to mess with this so y'all gotta you might be running honestly but like we don't want to sit here and have to babysit you uh year in and year out and make sure that you are doing what you say you're doing so let's all just pivot over to this other model yeah um because we just don't have the time and the resources, <laughs> yes. which was also a point that Matt Brown made, mm-hmm. uh, that why why bother doing this if you knew it was coming down the pipeline? Well, uh, the IRS is notoriously slow well, and the, at, at getting, yeah. getting at things. So, like, yes, the, I mean, they've said, we're looking into this, and oh, we don't know if this is terribly kosher, but the time between saying that and actually doing something about it uh, could be a while. Yeah, and that's the thing about this. He did say this. Uh, quote, well, the IRS is backlogged like backlog like crazy. Enforcing anything takes a while. The responsibility to oversee nonprofits also often falls on the state AG offices, the attorney general offices. Many collectives that their AG, bet that their AG wouldn't ever want to seriously investigate a group supporting good old state U. He's not wrong. Mm-hmm. That's political suicide in certain circumstances. Yeah. So – Crazy, crazy stuff. Um, just got a text back. Matt is going to join us. We'll do that coming up here in just a minute. We're actually going to get his thoughts on this. We'll let him kind of explain about that. So let's take a break here. We'll come back on the other side. This is the Saturday Show on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. Wherever you go, the zone will be right there with you every step of the way. It's the all-new KSL Sports Zone. I love it. Where you can listen to The Zone wherever you may be. Listen to me, this stuff is available everywhere. It's your new home for streaming The Zone and getting all the latest news, insight, and analysis of the teams you can't live without. It's the all-new KSL Sports app. Available now wherever you shop for apps. If you're coming from the street with dirty shoes on your feet, that's a technical foul. If you switch the radio to some modern music show, that's a technical foul. If you touch the thermostat, you'll get hit with a bat. Cause that's a technical foul. You will feel my wrath. That's a technical foul. Personal file, 69, office. He was giving them the business. A technical foul. 
Welcome back to the Saturday show here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. As you heard, it is time for technical fouls. Just a little programming note. Matt Brown from Extra Points is going to join us next segment. Uh, reached out to him and said, let's do it. So we're going to have him on coming up. Uh, so let's get to technical fouls before we get to that. Michelle, where are you going to start this week? Yeah, so interesting headline this week uh, was shared on Twitter a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, former Seattle Seahawks offensive lineman Russell Okun uh, talking about his weight loss. And yeah. I think most of us know, you know, when you're an offensive lineman or even a defensive lineman, those guys, after they finish playing, a lot of them lose weight mm-hmm. and, and get very shredded. Um which is fine. Like I, I, for most people, I don't think there's any reason why you really need to be 300 pounds. No. Um, but the the kicker here is how he went about it: fasting for 40 days with nothing but water, mm-hmm. and it's just dangerous. It is. It's dangerous. It's not a healthy way to go about losing that kind of weight. Uh, and I feel like when you are someone, a public figure, like people look to you for stuff like that. And okay, you know, maybe you had a bunch of people watching over you, looking, looking in on you, making sure that you were good while you did this. But average Joe Blow isn't going to have those resources. Sure, and yeah. you have to know that someone's going to try this. Well, and it, it, it's it's encouraging disordered eating, which is a dangerous. Like said, it's a dangerous thing to it, it causes issues. Let's put it that way. It does cause issues, and I feel like you know what we talk about that a lot with women, and especially mm-hmm. looking at like the modeling and acting industries. Uh, we don't talk about it a lot with males in like the sports industry. Still a thing, though, big time. Very much a thing. Um, yeah, so phenomenal weight loss. Probably not the best method to go about it. No. Because as you mentioned, he's got a team of people around him making sure that everything's hunky-dory. Yeah. I I think there should have been a big disclaimer (laughs) on that, and there wasn't. Yeah, no doubt. Um, All right, Michelle, I'm going to bring one close to home for you. Is that okay? Oh, of course. Reggie Fowler. that trigger you at all? Yeah. Okay. Well, who originally attempted to buy the Vikings from Redmond Combs in 2005, before becoming a minority owner, received a prison term in excess of six years for his role in a $70 million cryptocurrency scheme. The 64-year-old Fowler was given a sentence of 75 months. He must forfeit $740 million and pay $53 million in restitution. Uh, prosecutors contended that Fowler lied to Alliance of American Football Executives. Mm-hmm. This goes back to you were part of this. Uh, when he uh, claimed to control sufficient resources to finance the league, which imploded during its only season in 2019. U.S. Attorney Damian Williams said Damian Williams said Fowler, quote, victimized the AAF by lying about his net worth in exchange for a substantial portion of the league, unquote. Uh, his attorney expressed remorse on Fowler's behalf, but he will serve upwards of six years in a federal penitentiary for his role in that. Yeah, that's that's not enough. I mean, the damage this guy caused. He did a lot, yeah. Uh, just, I just, uh, there's so many stories I could tell. I, and directly, directly with the stallions. Uh, so we ended up staying two extra or an extra month in San Antonio because we had no place to come back to, um, no facility Mm -hmm. to host our guys while we practiced. Yeah. Like we played at Rice Eccles Stadium, but like we couldn't keep our stuff there. Sure. Uh, so Reggie Fowler 
told us, well, just hang back in San Antonio for an extra month um, and we will build you a facility out of shipping containers. And I have the hookup. I have the plug. Okay. It never got done. Got it. Never got done. Um, I like it was half of what he said it would be. <laughs> and, and so we just had this janky system yeah. uh, to operate out of. Just very, very interesting. And like I said, that ended up being the least of the bad lies he told. Uh, <laughs> it came out that like the AF almost was canceled the day after Christmas that year yeah. um, because one of his accounts got locked down Mm-hmm. Because of this thing that that he is in, deal, yeah. that he is in trouble for, uh, and then he ended up opening up a different account, so it carried on. But I almost got told I didn't have a job the day after Christmas in 2018. Jeez, oh, just I, myself and everybody else involved with this uh, because of Reggie Fowler. But you know what? Shame on Ebersol too, Charlie Ebersol, yeah. because this guy had. A previous record. There's a reason why he was no longer part of the Minnesota Vikings mm-hmm. in ownership. Yep. And it's because he lied to them about how much money he had. So why you would get involved with this guy in the first place, beyond me. But, you know, alas, here we are. <laughs> yeah, I figured that one would would be a good one for technical fouls because, yeah, you're, I'm with you. I don't think necessarily the, the, the punishment doesn't actually fit the crime, but, hey, nonetheless... He's being punished for it. So. He, ruined, he ruined a lot of lives. Yeah, he did. He messed a lot of stuff up. There's no doubt about that. All right, we'll come back on the other side. Uh, Matt Brown from Extra Points. His new letter, newsletter will join us to talk about what's going on with these IRS collectives. That's coming up next right here on The Saturday Show. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back into the Saturday show here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. Michelle Bodkin, Jay Catch, along for the ride on this Saturday morning. And pleased to welcome in now Matt Brown from the Extra Points newsletter, as well as D1 Ticker. Does a great job covering, as I like to call it, the business side of collegiate sports, but more than that, obviously. Matt's been on our station many times before, but Matt, thanks for carving out some time for us here on a Saturday. Hey, it's it's my pleasure, friends. Thanks for having me back on. All right, Matt. We saw you start tweeting about this. We were talking about it literally as you were tweeting about it. Michelle and I both were <laughs> referencing some of your tweets in this. Uh, the IRS has declared the 501c3 designations for uh, college uh, athletics collectives uh, essentially are going to be illegal. I, I don't know. Explain exactly where things stand right now with the IRS on this front. Sure. So uh, you know, big, big picture here. The idea that the IRS would eventually say, hey, you can't use a nonprofit designation for an NIL collective, that's been, that's been out there for a while. You know, sure. I, back yeah. in early 2022, I interviewed a couple of tax professors that specialize in nonprofit law. We've been interviewing CPAs that work with athletic departments, and they said, yeah, there's no way this is going to stand up. The reason it didn't happen immediately is because NIL's new, NIL collectives are new, and uh, 
you know, the IRS is many things, but nimble is not one of them, right? <laughs> Bureaucrats <laughs> wanted lots more time to see what, how this market would develop before they, they, they stepped in. Uh, what you saw on, on Friday reported there by Sports Illustrated's Ross Dellinger uh, on three confirmed it. We've seen the, the memo has been out there for a little bit. This is the chief counsel for the IRS saying the advice that we're giving now is this is not going to hold up anymore. Um, that, that, that doesn't mean that these are all you know, deactivated from their 501c3 status immediately. What it does mean uh, is that if there's, if there's an appeal or an AG, you know, it does an investigation or after some of these groups have to file their 990s, and send in their paperwork to the IRS, they're not going to have their 501c3 status uh, continued. You know, that's always been the concern. It's not hard to get nonprofit status. It's hard to keep it after you send in your first round of disclosure forms to the government and people double-check that you're doing what you say that you're going to do. So what you're going to see now are a lot of collective operators call up their attorneys and figure out, is it possible for us to convert to an LLC? Or are some of our big donors going to be very angry because they're expecting a tax rebate that we can no longer promise? So with that being said, are these collectives going to have to move over to an LLC status? Or is it possible that some of them could maintain their 501c? Yeah, it is, it is possible that some of them could. So, so the, the, the crux of the issue here is what is the true purpose of an NIL collective? If the IRS believes that the true purpose of this organization is really to further charities and not to pay athletes, you can still qualify as a charity. And you know, one of the things they're going to look at then is the, the, how much the athletes are getting paid and what exactly they're being asked to do and what the overhead looks like. You're going to have to send a ton of forms. So there's a lot of NIL collectives right now that are supporting G5 or FCS or you know, what we call one AAA programs, you know, Division One schools that don't have football that are raising relatively small amounts of money, you know, twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000. And if they're not dropping a bag on somebody to go participate in a charity, there's a chance that they could keep that designation. What the IRS believes and what I personally believe and, and many you know, industry experts that I talk to is that these, these nonprofit groups at major institutions classify themselves as nonprofits, but the real point of the organization is to pay to recruit and retain athletes. And a, a good tell it's just to look at the collective's website. Are they emphasizing charity? Are they emphasizing local businesses? Or are they emphasizing give money to be a part of this effort to make our athletic department elite? You're paying an offensive lineman $60,000 to go you know, read the kids at the Boys and Girls Club. There's a lot of things that that is, but it sure as hell ain't charitable. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, Matt Brown from Extra Points Newsletter as well as D1 Ticker joining us here on 97.5 FM, DKSL Sports Zone. Uh, I was reading Ross's uh, article, and you, you you did quote this gentleman as well, Jason Belzer, the co-founder of Student Athlete NIL. Yeah. And this quote in the article, I, I just made my day. The IRS may grin and then come back a year later and say, what the bleep is going on? The kid, pr- kid promoting the charity is driving around the Mercedes and tweeting about how great this charity is. And th- th- I think that kind of puts a case in point. What is the point of what you're doing with this collective? And I think, is that... That, that's come down to the crux of what the IRS is going to look at here, isn't it? That's, that's, that's exactly it. Like, if you want to keep your 501c3 status, so this is you know, kind of the ironic thing, it's a huge pain in the butt, paperwork-wise, to uh-huh. keep this designation, because you've got to tell the tax man what you spent on everything, like, not just what you spent on paper and, like, staples and Internet access, but also, like, every deal that you gave to every athlete and exactly for what. And they're going to, you know, if they audit you, if they – if they look carefully, they're going to see if that matches up to, to fair market value. And we have, like, precedent 
of people being paid very small amounts of money to do labor and have it be viewed as non-charitable. Like there are tax examples. And I actually have a reported story on this on Monday from uh, a woman who, who wrote a, you just published a law journal story about this exact thing that like, there are like high school athletic associations that pay people like nine bucks to work concessions. And the IRS says that's not charitable. Even though, like, yeah, most of that money is going to like to pay for like the bus for like the softball team or something. Like the nine bucks an hour you're paying to sell Fritos isn't charitable. And if they're going to draw that thin of a line, then paying hilariously over market value for high schoolers who have no marketability to go do some nominal charity work is not going to stand up. Um, I, I don't think that anyone's going to go to jail over this. Although some of the people running a couple of the collectives that I know are. Are, are really probably should get into an actual legal trouble, but there's going to be a reckoning. Um, and, and this is part of what, one of the big transitions that's really happening right now in the NIL space is that you got 80 of these groups that are set up as, as nonprofits, but almost everybody is realizing you can't really build a collective that's funded by 12 rich guys, which is what a lot of these were in the beginning. Like we're going to go mm-hmm. shake down a handful of our, of our, of our mega rich friends. And that's how we're going to get a hundred thousand dollars to go after a guy in the transfer portal. And what people are realizing is that that's really risky. It's risky because the kind of people that are willing to spend $100,000 on a kid in the transfer portal uh, sometimes made their money in sketchy ways, and sometimes that money might not necessarily be liquid when you need it to be. They can be flaky and temperamental, and sometimes those promises don't move through. And then you have this IRS challenge. So what everybody is trying to do, and this is true in, at the Utah and BYU markets, and it's true throughout the pack in the Big 12, of the, of the flagship collectives realizing – we need to shift our business model to either rely on a lot of small donors, a lot of people paying six, eight, ten, twelve bucks a month, or actual honest-to-goodness businesses that are trying to set up deals with people that, that are based in market value where everybody wins. And that's hard to do because the first year the market of going for players was way out of whack for the benefit that anybody was getting, and you just can't keep doing that forever. Gosh, that it's so funny that the last segment we were talking about Reggie Fowler because uh, some of this is sounding very AAF-ish, Reggie Fowler-ish. Um, <laughs> so, how do you view this situation as maybe helping to shape and change overall how we go about doing NIL? Uh, at the college level, obviously, I, there's been a lot of talk about just how fast and loose the whole thing has been, not just from the collective yeah. standpoint, but just overall in general. I actually look at this as a, as a real positive. And I'm not somebody that's predisposed to cheerlead for the IRS, as I imagine most people are here <laughs> uh, in, in, this mar- in, in this market, right? But in, in this particular thing, if you have a guy who's super rich, who's cutting a check for $75,000 to a collective to help pay for a recruit, and then gets to write that off on their taxes, that hurts taxpayers. And it hurts anybody, any institution, anything that relies on taxpayer money, um, which I, I would think even if you're, if you're a college sports fan, you look at that and think, like, that doesn't really help my community. Like, my world has not improved if, um, you know, somebody gave a bunch of money to help Colorado football get a little bit better for one year. So I, I think anything that cuts uh, taxpayer grift or, or tax fraud uh, is, is a net benefit. But big picture, I think the NIL industry and world, if this continues to exist in 10 years, which I honestly, it, it might not if we move towards a professionalized model, but it's going to exist. The extent that it's grounded in market realities and, and, and paying people an honest you know, a, a amount of money for honest work, 
is going to be dramatically helpful for schools and athletes and brands, right? There's a lot of people, a lot of companies, I think even in Utah, that would benefit a lot from working with the Utah or Utah State or a BYU athlete, and they're not getting involved. Part of that's because they don't understand influencer marketing. Part of that's because they're worried about regulatory or reputational risk. Like, could you imagine being the company that gets caught up in, in, a, in a tax scandal or fraud or anything? And, and that, how much does that hurt you? And as we move away from naked bag manning and naked agent profiteering and move towards something that more resembles the actual camp circuit, the actual lesson circuit, the actual advertising world, that's going to be bumpy. But it will be better for consumers, and I think it will be better for athletes who are trying to you know, ultimately not just earn some money in college, but build professional connections that will set them up after their college career is over. Like, that's something that many of these collectives actually do, and it's worth celebrating. Um, and and, and you, you can't really do that effectively if what we're really doing is money laundering. And that's really what some of these charitable NIL collectives are. Well, that's exactly what Michelle and I came to the point of when we were talking earlier about this is some of these are fronts, it feels like, for money laundering schemes. And I think obviously the IRS wants to wants to sniff that out. Matt Brown from D1 Ticker, as well as Extra Points Newsletter joining us. And Matt, uh, you know this. I've been subscribed to your newsletter. I've been a big proponent of it since the day you launched it. Uh, I want to ask you, you wrote another piece earlier this week for your Extra Points Newsletter looking specifically at the Built Bar situation in BYU. Uh, and yeah. I, I, the, the point you made is when it comes to NIL, get it all in writing no matter what. Explain why exactly it's so important in all these circumstances. No, absolutely. No matter what. And, and if, if I can be so bold here okay. from kind of reading between the lines, I think there might be a little bit of Mormon trust going on here <laughs> where there yeah. might be a reluctance to build something resembling a contract or getting everything out in front because, hey, you trust the guy on the other side, and they trust you. You're doing this for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. We're all friends. We can, we can handle these kind of things. And this is, this is always the danger of going into business with your friends or anything. You need a contract. And if you don't, and not a contract, you need a written document detailing exactly what is expected of you, exactly when you're going to get paid, and exactly what happens if either of those things doesn't happen. So in the unlikely event that there is confusion, or miscommunication, or something isn't delivered, you have something that you agreed upon when you were still friends to guide you through everything here. You know, I've learned this through, uh, through extra points with vendors or mm-hmm. relationships that I have. It's, it's not an adversarial thing. I look at the built issue specifically, not that built was trying to take advantage of anybody. I think it's very clear built wants a very long-term relationship with BYU and in this market. But you have dozens of football players who think that they're owed something, and the owner of the company who thinks something else, the only way that's resolved is if there was communication ahead of time and stuff was written down. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm glad to see that people are getting a little bit of money now, and I hope that that's a, that's a teaching lesson, especially given that many of these players also entered into relationships with marketing companies in your, in your market with this ridiculous crypto thing with some of these other opportunities that didn't pan out. That sets the scale for then maybe you, you get a little bit angrier about the protein bar situation than you might have been had you not gone over three on other opportunities. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. We're also starting to see some legislation and lawsuits coming out, um, some yeah. arguments in California yeah. that these kids should maybe be considered employees. Revenue share, yeah. How, how do you view that yeah. as maybe helping to kind of even or maybe not even the playing field and maybe eliminate some of the problems we're seeing here with just straight NIL. 
Yeah, I, I, legit, I honestly believe that many of the NIL issues go away if schools are directly compensating athletes. Like, if we're being really honest here, for a subset of this market, and I say that's primarily for football, baseball, men's and women's basketball players, and, and, and in your market, maybe gymnastics. A couple, a couple other examples in other places. But the, for you know, that group, you have NIL deals that are primarily meant to be talent acquisition or talent retention fees. I'm giving you this money because you are good at sports and important to this program. Um, and we don't do anything else in the business world like that. If you're providing value for one entity and one entity sets rules and governs you and controls you, that's the entity that pays you. When you have like this weird third-party thing, that's where we end up with some of these issues with graft and money laundering, with dishonesty, with the inability to collect what's due. And if you move to a, a standardized model like everything else in elite sports in the world, that eliminates some of those issues. The problem, of course, is who is defined as one of the athletes that, that gets some of that revenue share and how do you execute it? And, and this is a complaint that I hear from coaches and ADs all of the time, that college athletics isn't a monolith and there isn't just one NIL market. Right. Like if you're a soccer player at BYU and you might be a nationally elite athlete and kind of compete for, you know, going deep in the NCAA tournament, um, nobody's dropping more than a thousand dollars of a bag for you. And like no one's really making like no one's really making a profit running collegiate men's or women's soccer programs, especially not men's programs. Like I, I talked to people at Clemson, they won the national title recently. And they're like, no, we buy the, we lost millions of dollars, <laughs> even though we sold a lot of tickets and, and we're on TV late in the season. The math doesn't work out there. Can't really do revenue sharing if there's no revenue to share, even with like nobody really getting rich in that ecosystem. Um, the complaint that I've heard and one that I actually have some sympathy with is that the California proposed law is using a sledgehammer when a scalpel really should be used. And it's going to create more problems and more problems for athletes then uh, I, I think it's, it's looking to solve. But it is you know, a way to kind of force the issue to have this conversation. And, and this is what I think kind of frustrates me a lot about this NIL world. We're moving towards this system one way or another, whether it's because of the California state law that gets copied, whether it's because of NCAA v. Johnson or the National Labor Relations Board or uh, House v. NCAA in, in 2025. And if not any of those, miraculously, some other court case, eventually – the courts are going to require, going to mandate that some of these athletes are paid directly. <laughs> so if you're in the NIL world, you've got to be thinking, like, how does my organization survive that? And if you're, you know, Mark Harlan or if you're Tom Homo, if you're anybody in, in this world here, you need to be thinking, what is our plan B and plan C for how to, how to function in this environment? I don't think enough administrators are really credibly take, you know, considering the risk of this happening very soon and articulating what you will do in, in that environment. It's not a hypothetical for something that might happen in 12 years. It will probably happen while all of us still have these jobs. Crazy. Matt, where can people find all your fine work? You bet. You can find me on Twitter, where I am probably spending time that I should be spending reporting. <laughs> you and me both. Uh, on, Matt, on Matt Brown EP. You can find the newsletter, Extra Points, at www.extrapointsmb.com. You could subscribe and get two emails a week for free or uh, subscribe to the premium edition and get four uh, athletic leaders, collective operators, agents, reporters, all in this market uh, read Extra Points every day. So I imagine many of you might benefit from that too, if nothing else, to play our computer game, which is coming out in like two and a half weeks. 
Yeah. Uh, if you ever want to, to to see what it's like to be an athletic director, <laughs> um, but and and play a computer game in the style of like 1986 Oregon Trail, uh, <laughs> I got a treat for you. It's called Athletic Director Simulator 3000. It comes out in a couple of weeks. I think you guys will enjoy it. I, I've been seeing your updates. I, I, of course, I read your newsletter every day, and I've seen your updates about this coming yeah. out. I cannot wait to play it personally. I'm a big Oregon well, Trail well, fan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 so tell you guys what. Like, I am in the backyard right now, so that we don't hear my children in the background. When I go inside, I'll DM you guys a link to the beta so you, you can play it okay. and, and uh, see that it's a real thing and not just a bunch of dumb screenshots. My, my man. Well, Matt, thank you so much for a very short notice hopping on and helping us make sense of what's going on in NIL and just the crazy environment around it. It's, 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 my, it's, uh, it's my pleasure. I recognize there's not a lot of people who want to get on the radio on a Saturday and talk about tax policy in college athletics, <laughs> but I'm that guy. So well. hopefully I didn't bore you all to tears. Thanks again, Matt. <laughs> Yeah, no problem. I'll catch y'all later. There you go. Matt Brown from Extra Points. Great stuff. And I think he helped us kind of understand exactly where things stand. It's not a done deal, but it's kind of, as you mentioned, it, it, it's, it's heading that way. It's heading down a certain path. I think we all think is inevitable. We, we see in pro sports, Michelle, mm-hmm. revenue sharing. That's why the NFLPA, the MBPA, the MLBPA, these players associations, which are unions, exist. They collectively bargain with the leagues themselves, and they split the revenue straight. In some cases, it's a 50-50 split. In some cases, it's 51-49. There's just different splits, but they share the revenue. Multi-billion dollar organizations, there's one that exists that does not do that, and that is the college athletics universe. Well, and I mean, honestly, nobody should be surprised that we're here after 2020 and COVID. (laughs) That system got exploited for what Mm -hmm. it truly was. Uh, which was taking advantage of people and their personalities yep. to make a buck, but they're not getting it. But then, huh, we have this thing come up with a pandemic that <laughs> potentially dangerous. I mean, as I hard to say, as we've kind of come out of it, maybe a little bit overblown in some cases. But, um, you know, when you don't know what it is and you're faced with. Yeah. We either send them out and make them play and risk their lives and risk their futures uh, so that we can continue to make a buck, but they won't see that. <laughs> uh, you you start, yeah, it, it kind of unraveled from there, to be very, very honest, very frank, um, that these student athletes really technically are employees of the university. And if they can't do their job at certain points, the university suffers. Yeah, it. it- Football and basketball in particular, they generate billions, with a B, dollars every single year. and They yeah. weren't seeing a penny of it. So, All right, crazy times, but big thanks to Matt. Like, literally, short notice. I, I texted him during that segment we were doing it at the 1030 segment and said, hey, can you hop on? Let's do it. So Matt's a good dude. And uh, trust me, I have subscribed to Extra Points since the day he launched it. This is going back. It's at least three years he's been doing it, I think. But good stuff all the same. But big thank you to him. All right, we'll come back on the other side. We'll get to five minutes of. We've got some stuff to cover on that side. Uh, Rail Salt Lake signing a new striker. Michelle, the 60 and 60 is back. We have two selections already as they get ready for the upcoming football season. We'll highlight those two players and a whole lot more. Stay with us. This is the Saturday show right here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. It's the ninth annual Top 60 and 60. Get your college football fix every day at 1.30 as the zone counts you down to the start of the 2023 season. Woo, woo, woo! 
by listing off the top 60 players in the state of Utah as voted on by the local media and you, the fans. You'll also hear from the coaches as they talk about the players that will impact their season the most. It's the Top 60 and 60, weekdays at 1.30, presented by Five Star Painting. On your home of the best college football coverage in Utah, 97.5 The KSL Sports Zone. Saturday show here on 97.5 FM DKSL Sports Zone. Hope y'all are doing great on this Saturday. Big thanks to Matt Brown from Extra Points for joining us. I thought it was really good stuff. I know that tax policy and the IRS and college athletics doesn't necessarily like, I don't know, push the uh, point across, but especially when it could involve your program, speaking if you're you to Cougar and Aggie, uh, it's going to obviously have some impact, it feels like. Well, I, I mean, any more, you know, some of this boring contractual stuff. You think about how obsessive we've been over media rights deals, is and it's more or less a lot of the same kind of stuff, just contractual yeah. and lawyer jargon, and what does it all mean? And it's becoming a big part of you know what it is we do and what it is we cover. Yeah. I frankly hate it. I think it's very stale and well, it is. It is. But you know, unfortunately. Sports, whether it's college pros, mm-hmm. whatever, is becoming such a big business that the big business details are creeping more and more into how we go about reporting. Correct. Absolutely. That's the biggest thing about it. Is it it's just it, it's part of the calculus now, which mm-hmm. it, 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 in the times it can seem, as you mentioned, stale, old, just and it doesn't necessarily interest you, but it can have a very real impact on the day-to-day operations of the team or teams that you're a big fan of. So mm-hmm. crazy, crazy stuff. All right, uh, time for five minutes of, and Michelle, uh, let's start off with the 60 and 60, obviously. Hans and Scotty have done this nine years now. I have been a proud voter since That's day one crazy. of it. Uh, funny enough, it coincides with a lot of my run doing full-time radio as well. Just It's just nuts to think they've done it for this long. Uh, what it is, if uh, for those of you who may be uh, wondering what we're talking about, they essentially compile a list of the top, what well, they deem it the top 60 players in the state of Utah. That includes athletes from the University of Utah, Utah State, and BYU most know Those three are the big dogs. But they have had athletes from Southern Utah. I believe there are two, if I'm not, if are two or three this year from Weber State. Did you vote on it, Michelle? I did. Yeah, I'm trying to remember how many Weber State ones are this I, year. I know there was at least one. I noticed yeah. one. Noah Tongi was on there, obviously a fantastic offensive lineman, but it's a really fun way to count down to the season. What they do is they actually go out and talk uh, to the various coaches and let these coaches sound off on these athletes. So, let's just do a quick recap of the first two that have come in, and I'll, I'll I'll, I'll let you, if you remember where you had him ranked, Michelle, you can weigh in with this. I'll be able to pass along as well. I know. Trust <laughs> me. I might do, I think I had, like, it was so tough to do this. But uh, number one was a BYU defensive lineman, Atu Naisamahe, a uh, guy who was dealt with all kinds of health concerns during his time as BYU. Uh, Michelle, I don't know if you knew this. He had a blood clot in his brain at one point. Oh, goodness. And has battled back from that. Uh, it was... It was a crazy circumstance. Like there's the there's veins and then there's the capital. Like it was mm-hmm. it was it was the the one that doesn't kill you essentially. Well, that I mean, <laughs> hooray for small miracles. Yeah, I, it was in, 
insane. Battled back from that. Uh, a guy that BYU hopes he's number sixty on the sixty and sixty here. I had him just a tad bit higher. I think I had him around like fifty five ish in my rankings. But he is a guy that I think BYU fans have uh, enjoyed watching. He's a little undersized. He, uh, they list him at six one. If he's six one, I'm six three. Let's put it that way. It's my personal opinion. But nice, really, really nice kid. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> Strong as an ox, by the way, Michelle. I, so I had a conversation with one of his uh, teammates, and there was a video put out on social media earlier this off season of him squatting. I think it was like six hundred and eighty some odd pounds. Uh, what I was told, and this actually came from him as well, is that he has never actually maxed out how much he can squat. No kidding. They've stopped him. They said, you're done. Yeah, yeah we're not testing this any further. <laughs> so, pretty strong kid. Uh, yeah, if you don't even know how far you can actually go with it, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, that is some crazy, crazy strength. Yeah. Uh, I to be honest, I don't remember where I. I, <laughs> okay. I, I probably will not re- start remembering where I had guys until probably about the top fifteen or so, most likely. Um, it's it's a tough deal to go through. It's 60 hard. Yeah. It's really. I I tried. Last year, I stressed myself out over it because it was my first year. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I get that. Um, yeah. And and it just. This year, I was just like, okay, like, go go with what you know, mm-hmm. and then just let the rest be what the rest is. Um, but I mean, it is. It's really, it's really, really hard when you stop and think about. First of all, trying to gauge like just overall who who is the best athlete, regardless of where they play, mm-hmm. and then there's some consideration you have to take as to. What what is this guy playing going to do for this team and what their goals are and who has the bigger goal this year and you know who who's going to be the most important piece to getting said school to said goal and whose goal is more important than the other goals that these teams it just there's a lot to consider yeah there's a lot to consider and weigh when you're trying to rank these guys it really would be. <laughs> easier if if it was just by team who who's the most important player ranking players within a team uh, but when you kind of have that cross the crosshairs of into individual goals team goals sure. you know what what's the reality for everybody here and trying to assess who and what is more important towards whatever means you're trying to judge. It's hard. It's really hard. Uh, and certainly try to be mindful of that um, in order to judge these guys fairly and, and put them in a place that I think is accurate. Yeah, so. no, no doubt about that. Um, number 59 uh, yesterday was Anthony Switzer uh, for the Utah State Aggies. Now, I, I admittedly, I don't know a ton about Switzer. He spent last season injured for Utah State, had a pretty good run at Arkansas State with a uh, with Coach Anderson during his time with the Red Wolves down there. But 51 tackles and interception as a member of Arkansas State's program. He was one of those guys that was just like, there was like, a, just, I don't know much about him. And so, what do I do with you? I'm not going to lie. I had Anthony Switzer number 60 on my list. <sighs> he was like, because I'm with you. I kind of go by, okay. Where do I think the impact of this guy can be? Do I have this guy? Would I take him? And that's how I kind of go about it. Mm-hmm. And just the fact that I had, I just, I did no, not. Nothing to really judge him so off of. I, I had Anthony Switzer number 60, but nonetheless, he's still, he's number 59 in the entire state of Utah. Remember, these are 123-man rosters. So the, he's he's up there. Yeah. Uh, he, cer- he certainly has 
some importance if he's on on the list. Sure. Yeah. So. Yeah, so he redshirted in 2022. He's missing the entire season due to injury. Obviously, they'll be doing five more of these uh, assignments uh, next week and obviously throughout the rest of the summer, counting down to the season. So stay tuned. One thirty every uh, Monday through Friday with Hans and Scott as they announce the next uh, in the 60 and 60 rankings countdown. And I'm interested to ultimately see who's out, who checks out on top, Michelle. I, the people I've talked to about this, there's not necessarily, I feels like a clear far and away number one guy out there. Last year, it felt like there was a clear number one. Yeah. This year, I think it was a little grayer, a little more murky. Yeah. I think there's a couple of guys you could make an argument for. I will say this, though. If a certain quarterback was healthy, I think he is far and away the number one guy. Probably. I, I'm i pretty sure I had him number one. Just speaking because of Cam- I'm speaking of Cameron. Yeah, yeah, just because, again, weighing what Utah's yeah. goals are, well... If they want to get there, he kind he kind of has to be ready to go. Like, uh, yeah. It, but yeah, <laughs> uh, it's 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 going to be an. I'm very curious to see how this shakes out because I think there were, unlike last year, I think there were a couple of different choices that really you're not wrong if you went there with it. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, Michelle, quickly over to the NFL here. Uh, this is obviously got local connection with Garrett Bowles, a former Utah standout, spent time at Snow College. Uh, he is standing up and stumping for his quarterback, speaking of Russell Wilson with the Denver Broncos. Did you see this quote? Mm-mm. All right, so he said this, quote, He's a great dude. He's the same guy every single day, and he works his butt off. And I'm ready for that stuff to go away, and when it does, everyone's going to eat crow. Okay, Garibalds. <laughs> He, I get what he's doing. He's trying to back up his guy. Speaking of Russ, here's the thing: Russell Wilson's 2022 season was awful. It was pretty rough. It was pretty rough. Uh, it did not go well. Uh, doesn't help that another Utah connection, Tim Patrick, was out for the season. It did not help. No. Um, yeah. It sounded like they had some good chemistry going before mm-hmm. he got hurt. And he's kind of turned into one of Denver's main targets over over the years. So not having one of your main guys hurts, uh, especially when you're breaking in a new quarterback. And granted, he's a veteran. He's been there. He's done that. But still, everybody has to get used to each other. Um, I, I, I've heard mixed reviews on Russ. Yeah. I, there, are, there are people I've talked to that absolutely love him mm-hmm. and respect him. There are other people that have said that he is one weird dude (laughs) so i think it just depends i just depends on the person you ask to be honest well and that's the thing about it is it's just it's kind of interesting that he's a very polarizing character yeah he is but the way he projects himself sometimes on social media plays into both sides of that at the same time does that make sense yeah because you remember the whole video of him like doing his workout on the plane on the going over to london it's like (laughs) Well, that, people think he's weird as all get out. That goes right to their point. Like, yeah. like, see? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's just crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, by the way, Garrett Bowles, phenomenal dude. Uh, I went on a trip. I think you recall this back in February. I went down to California for a few days. My flight back, uh, there's this big dude. All of a sudden, I'm walking behind him over to the gate. He turns around. I'm like, oh, that's Garrett Bowles. Oh, that's so funny. You didn't mention that. Yeah. I just remember, God, my uncle went... To Denver for something. Mm-hmm. My uncle's a big guy. He's six yeah. four. Okay. Um, like I mean, he's a big dude. He happened to run into Garrett Bowles and took a picture with him. Sure. And it was funny because Garrett Bowles makes my uncle look tiny. <laughs> like 
Garrett Bowles is a big dude. Yeah. Yeah, he, he is. And uh, I had a quick conversation with him, just some small talk, but really, really nice yeah. dude. He was doing some charity work down there in Southern California at the time and really, really cool. Like, And he, by the way, Garrett uh, does a lot of stuff. That doesn't Some of it gets publicized. He does a lot of stuff with his charity and whatnot. A lot of it doesn't. He does mm-hmm. a lot of stuff behind the scenes. And he's like most athletes out there, but it's fun to – and he, legitimately one of the biggest human beings I've ever seen. <laughs> Just he is gigantic. Really nice guy though. Um, all right, and then Michelle, uh, one other thing on the another local product, uh, not a local product, a local signing. Real Salt Lake signing Chicho Arango uh, on a three-year deal, uh, bringing him to Salt Lake. Uh, as we mentioned earlier on on today's show, if you missed it, uh, he has scored goals at a pretty prodigious rate for LAFC during his two seasons. Obviously, helping lead LAFC to both the Concacaf Champions League. Uh, a title as well as the MLS Cup title last year. He was an MVP candidate. Uh, this dude is a true star. And RSL uh, apparently paying, if it reports are true, somewhere around $6 million, which is a club record transfer free to bring him in from CF Pachuca down there in Mexico. And he projects once he's able to take the field, that will not happen until the transfer window opens on July 5th, just the day after Independence Day here in the United States. Uh, but once he is cleared, he figures to be an immediate day one starter for Real Salt Lake. And I think Salt Lake's planning on him scoring a lot of goals. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I, again, we kind of talked about, sounds like he's maybe the shot in the arm that the offense needs. Sure. Um, hopefully a consistent player, obviously health and and fitting into the system while plays into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's hard to be upset gaining a guy that does have a record and, and a pattern of being a producer. Yes. So. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, I'm interested to see how he does. Uh, it sounds like he will be introduced to Real Salt Lake fans tonight out at America First Field when they take on New York City FC. So if you happen to be going out uh, to that, uh, you'll be able to see their new striker, get at least introduced. Uh, and the hope is that uh, very quickly here, obviously, after July 5th, you'll see him officially introduced to the team formally and obviously on the field with Real Salt Lake because they do need an infusion of some goals. <laughs> Uh, yeah, if if they want to survive to postseason, yes, it, it, the change needs to start happening kind of now. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about that. All right, uh, we will come back on the other side, wrap things up on this edition of the Saturday Show. It's really flown by, Michelle. Like, it has flown I by. I just looked up, it's like it's 11.45. Crazy, it's already here. But nonetheless, we'll wrap it up next. This is the Saturday Show right here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. This is Jake Scott and Ben Anderson. Mitch Harper, BYU Insider for KSLSports.com. In terms of BYU, what would constitute a successful season in your mind? I think a successful season definitely is six wins. I, I do believe that that would be success just because last year was a mess. I mean, they, they go eight and five and on the surface you go eight wins. That's solid, right? But I think anyone that looked at that season goes, that was just kind of a disaster of a year. And BYU responded poorly to adversity. But if you can get to 6-6 six and six because their peers now in this Big 12, they've been doing that for decades, and BYU hasn't. And I think that if they can get to a six-win season, that's a nice starting point. And the great thing about being in a conference is that, okay, now you've got some familiarity with some of these teams, and then you build some momentum into the following year. If you get to a bowl game, that's a successful year one in the Big 12. Hear Jake Scott and Ben Anderson every day from 10 to noon on 97.5 the KSL Sports Zone. 
back to the Saturday show here at 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. Hope you guys are all doing well on this Saturday. This show has flown by, Michelle. I know. Like, honestly, I just realized like, I've got like four or five other things we could hit on and go for like another hour on the show. What do you say? Just kidding. I don't know. I mean, you know, as long as the day's quiet, <laughs> why not? Uh, get a phone call from somebody like, why are you still on air? Because uh, it's fun. Yeah. It is fun. It, it really is fun. <laughs> um, real quick, Michelle, a couple of things on the college football side of things. Uh, John Canzano, who you had on the Crimson Corner podcast earlier this week, uh, has an article that went out and says, quote, from a Pac-12 source that we will beat the Big 12's number. Uh, interested to see if that comes true, because Kirk mm-hmm. Schultz, the Washington State AD, uh, yesterday speaking to their, uh, their regents saying that he expects a deal by the end of the month. Fingers crossed. <laughs> it all of a sudden feels like that's kind of where we're heading. Yeah. Um, and we've talked about the fact that June 30th is a really important Yeah, uh, and I think John Canzano certainly agrees with that. I would agree with that. Um, you know, there's just been some interesting conversations, some very small things that have popped up. Sure. Uh, again, at the softball tournament, I asked – um, the softball co- head coach about, State, yeah. about the health of the San Diego State Athletic Department. I didn't mm-hmm. ask her about expansion, and she brought it up, and I thought that was fascinating. Sure. Um, normally, I wouldn't put a whole lot of weight in what a coach says, but it kind of made me go, huh, I wonder if y'all have had like a meeting about, like a serious meeting about this in order for you to kind of so freely bring this up. Yeah, she wouldn't be talking about it if she didn't have an idea of what's going on. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Uh, some of, some of the talk about you know the money projections. None of that's new to me. This is what I've been hearing for months. Um, but to your point, yes, will be interesting to see if it actually comes to fruition. If that really, truly is where things hit. I for months, months and months and months and months, I've been told it should be about equal to maybe a little bit more. So we'll we'll see. We'll see what happens. But it does feel like maybe we'll wrap this portion up of it, which would be great. So we can all move on and be frenemies about something else. (laughs) No doubt about that. Um, The other interesting part about this, Mike Varell, who actually we had on DJ and PK yesterday, quite literally, came out with an article later yesterday about the financial situation, quote, Rocky financial situation at Washington. He covers them for the Seattle Times. Um, saying this, that even uh, they are projecting a $6 million deficit for the fiscal year of 2023, but even higher fiscal deficit for 2024. They're already projecting losses. Uh, it'd be in- very important for them to have those numbers in hand pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, smaller, again, I think this also plays into a lot of what we talked with Matt Brown about, yep. the NIL stuff, um, just trying to employ your athletes, which may be a thing. Mm-hmm. That's going to be really, really hard for some of these smaller, more agricultural schools mm-hmm. like Washington State, like Oregon State, like Utah State, um, that don't necessarily have the big donor base, booster base, to kind of handle some of these upcoming costs. So yeah, Correct. TV yeah. deals and, and some of this other stuff is maybe going to start mattering a lot more moving forward. Yeah, it is. There's going to be interesting to see where that ultimately shakes out. Um, other Thing, Michelle, we've heard this rumor that Big Twelve wants to go to Mexico. Uh, they've already they they officially announced this. 
Kansas and Houston, two of the top teams, especially on the men's basketball side of things, but they're taking both the men's and women's teams are going to play in a regular season game in December of 2024 in Mexico City. Looking forward to that. It should be interesting. I, I look at this, the Big 12's push into Mexico. You know this as well as anybody. The Pac-12 tried to make the push for China. Mm-hmm. You remember they played basketball games over there. Uh, Leangelo Ball. If you yeah, I, I, I read that Kinzano article and I was like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot about that. Blast because the past, yeah. Because it... I, the way the Pac-12 did it was very forgettable. Uh, I think, in theory, it's a great idea. Uh, sure. But, but you kind of got to stick with it, and you kind of have to know what it is you're trying to accomplish there. And I don't think the Pac-12 knew that. Shockingly, you know, Larry Scott was <laughs> over it, so of course it worked out that way. Uh, so, you know, I think if the Big 12 and Brett Yormark have, like, a very clear-cut plan— mm-hmm. You know, it potentially could be a good thing. And last week, you know, I did talk about both of these conferences are in a place where they're having to think about creative things in order to keep them relevant and in the picture and worthy of people spending money on them. Yeah. Uh, Both sides have kind of dunked on each other in that regard, but like really they're in the same boat. And, And I feel like, you know, on that end, that's one of the Big 12's responses to maybe try and make themselves exciting and worth putting the money into. The other thing about this is is that uh, they also are planning on, well, they're looking at starting a bowl game in Monterey, Mexico. Uh, Monterey has a really phenomenal facility. It's a stadium. It holds 53,000 people. A lot of times hosts soccer games, but actually, you'd be funny enough, Monterey Tech, I think is the name of the school down there, is like the best American football team in the country of Mexico. No kidding. Yeah. Uh, RSL actually once upon a time played a soccer match there like a day or two after this football team had played. There were still gridiron lines on the field as Real Salt Lake was playing there. Huh. Um, the facility, it's called the Stadio BBVA is what they call it, and apparently that's where they would host this game. Uh just my personal thought is if BYU has any thought of this, they should be on board with this. The largest contingent of members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints outside of the United States of America reside in the country of Mexico. More than a million members in that country alone. Huh. I did not know that either. You put a BYU team, I think, anywhere in that country, you're probably going to get some members to show up and support the Cougars. Probably. You could take them literally anywhere. Monterey for a bowl game, <laughs> Mexico City for a basketball game. If I'm Tom Homo, I'm telling Brett Yormark, hey, we're we're all in. We're we'll, in on we'll this. We'll make these stadiums look full. <laughs> we can do that. And so but to your point, it's that'd be I think part of the calculus of how to make this successful. Try and get local angles to build up because it's gonna take time. Mm-hmm. Uh, all this stuff takes yeah. time. Again, we brought brought up yeah. the AAF again. Like yeah. these things take; they just don't happen overnight. It takes a lot of good planning mm-hmm. and effort to get it up off the ground. Yep, crazy stuff. All right, I think we covered it all. Oh, by the way, live golf, whatever. PGA Tour, blah blah blah. Saudi's own golf. Congratulations. We <laughs> there, there we go. All right. Michelle, any final thoughts from you? You know what? Just be good to each other and have a great weekend, guys. Absolutely. I I will echo that. Hope you all are doing well. For Michelle, I'm Jake. Have a great rest of your Saturday, everybody. Uh, RSL coverage beginning at uh, at 6.30 this evening as well as Salt Lake Bees action at 6.20 here on The Zone. So stay tuned for all that throughout the day right here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. 
Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.